you know, because I, I think when I first started, I was a bit like that too. It was just a job and it was just to give me money to go surfing. And then it wasn't until, you know, I came to Australia and then it was just like, right, you know, I really got the bug and got the fire inside me. It's like, you know, I really love this. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Standalone restaurants are often quite a different beast to restaurants in a hotel, but as our culinary landscape has evolved and expectations have increased, are the two so far apart anymore? Brett Cameron is the executive chef of the Noosa Beach House and the entire Sovitel Noosa Pacific Resort. Brett, how are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, huh? Yourself? I'm good. It's good to get you on the show. You're pretty busy with a huge role there in Noosa. How are things going? Yeah, good, good. Look, it definitely keeps me out of trouble. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely a big, big job and a big, big resort. And you know, we're generally pretty busy up here. So, yeah, definitely keeps me out of trouble. Um, traditionally, standalone restaurants and restaurants in hotels were considered quite different. You spent a lot of your career at some of the really defining restaurants of the modern era, and now you find yourself uh, as part of Sofitel Nusa Pacific Resort. Uh, it's a sort of standalone restaurants and restaurants in hotels quite different still? Yeah, I would say they, they definitely are, but I think like we're trying to treat the restaurant as a restaurant itself. Like obviously you have the hotel with so many different outlets operating, yeah, there's a couple of different kitchens and they supply lots of lots of different venues and bars and you know, pool bars and everything like that. And then we have the restaurant which which is yeah, you know, we're trying to treat it as a standalone beast, I guess, and give it like really give it its own identity. Um, yeah, like Noosa's yeah, Noose is an amazing place. It's it's got so much good produce which Oh, I'm only just starting to find all the all the local producers now. You know, it's, it ta- it takes time to to find these people and then develop relationships. But you know, you're talking to some of the local guys, and there's you know there's so much out there, and I really want to showcase that in in the restaurant as you know as I would have done in other restaurants that I've been in. You know, of days gone by. What's the scale of what you're doing there? Obviously, there is the restaurant and it's a beach house, but, you know, it encompasses so much more your role. What's, give us a sense of scale. A <laughs> sense of scale. Well, the resort itself is, it's 176 rooms. Um, yeah, we have a very busy, let, let's call it, it's called Noosa, Noosa Beach House Bar. Um, which is actually on the sh- on the itself, on the shop front of uh, Hastings Street itself, which is you kind of call it an upmarket pub, I guess. Um, it's you know people go in there, have drinks and snacks, come straight off the beach, you know pre pre dinner drinks as well. It's you know it's a good it's a good you know space to sit and watch and oh, I guess people watch and have a few drinks and catch up with catch up with mates. Um, so, like, that's a very, very busy venue. Then in behind that, we have the restaurant, so Noosa Beach House Restaurant, which can seat up to 140, 150 people. It's, like, it, it's a big space. Yeah, we have this, like, beautiful kind of terrace outside as well where, you know, in, in the warmer months of summer, it's, yeah, it's amazing to sit out there, kind of really nice alfresco dining. Um, and on top of that, we have a pool bar. So... 
yeah, the, there's like a massive pool in the middle of the resort. We have a swim-up pool bar, which, you know, when the, when the weather's nice and warm, it's, as you'd expect, that gets really, really busy. Like, it's it's flat out all day out there with families, kids, like, just, yeah, it's it's an amazing venue. Um, then we have a Riviera bar, which is kind of like an afternoon, evening, sort of, kind of higher-end spirits, sort of driven bar. It's... It's kind of you really get the sunset. It overlooks the river on the on the other side of the resort. It's really good for a sundowner. Um, obviously, we have breakfast, ho- hotel breakfast, and then we have a big catering and events kind of banqueting section. So, yeah, there's a little bit going on. Hey, <laughs> yeah. How, how how are you going in the role managing so many different areas and so many staff as well to sort of make all of these sort of different facets work? Yeah, look, I'm getting there. It was it was pretty full on at the start. There was a lot of work to do, and um, you know, finding the right people. Some some people don't like change, so they kind of, you know, they move on, and then you got to find find new people. But um, it's you know, it's just finding the right people that want to be there. I guess my mentality of of predominantly being a restaurant chef is, you know, you get in there, you work hard, and and you create a culture in there. That's that's. You work hard, but you have fun at the same time, and you know you want people to learn and, and be excited to come to work. You know, it's you know we we've got a tough job, but the best of days, you, you still want to have fun while you're in there. So yeah, resorts are sort of an escape for the general um, populace when they want to get away and sort of spoil themselves. What's it like as a chef working in a resort? I wouldn't say it's similar to being in one itself. Um, <laughs> no, nah, look, it's, it's kind of funny you say that because I, look, you know, obviously from, from my career and stuff, you can see I've, I've lived in a couple of, not resort towns, but beachside holiday towns before and Noosa, I guess, is kind of like one of those. So when when you're not at work, it kind of feels like you're on holiday. Um, but, you know, when you're in there, it just, it just feels like any, any other normal kitchen, but like, I guess where I'm going with this is like the people that come, like nine times out of ten, they're happy. They're on holiday. They're there having a good time. Like, you know, not everyone's going to be happy, but majority of them are. And I guess our job is being chefs in, in the hospitality industry and hotel industry is to keep them happy, like making sure they have a good time because, you know, we, we want people to come back and enjoy themselves more than once. So, Yeah. Well, I want to explore sort of what you're doing there, um, particularly within the restaurant and the connection that you're making with local producers shortly. But um, I'm pretty keen to dive back into your career because you've worked with uh, quite a few people that have been on the show and I can't wait to hear the stories behind uh, some of those venues and people from your experiences. But where, where did you grow up and what sort of role did food play for you? So I grew up in New Zealand, right down the bottom <laughs> in a little little like semi-rural town called Winton. Um, I lived there till I was 16 and then I moved to Dunedin in, in New Zealand still and that's that's kind of where I met the ocean and fell in love with the ocean and started surfing and kind of never, never looked back from there. But uh, look, back to the food part of it, like food was around me my whole life. Like we... Yeah, it, it, you don't you don't realise at the time, but when you look back, you're like my parents and my whole extended family. Like we all grew our own vegetables in the backyard, had fruit trees, etc. I might have been known to break some glass in the neighbour's glass house, throwing unripe apples at it. 
<laughs> my mum will be like little bugger right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, look, and look, my, my mother and I guess my whole family as well, actually, my, my father and my sister are all very good cooks. Um, my grandfather was a great cook. He used to always say to me, Brett, if I could live my life again, I'd be a chef and travel the world. Um, that didn't really resonate, me, resonate with me at the time. It wasn't until I was like older where, where that you know really resonated. But yeah, like my my whole family used to go. We used to drive up the road to Central Otago at the end of summer and get all like the seconds fruits or peaches and nectarines and all that sort of stuff, and come back and they'd spend like the whole weekend like preserving them and bottling them and stuff. So it was kind of you know I, I look back on that and I think that was really cool to. to that was just normal for me growing up and having that and and kind of now I, I love doing pickles and ferments and all that sort of stuff and I, I think I really got it from there and yeah, but I guess mum, you know, I used to eat lots as a kid. I was a skinny little bugger but I ate heaps and she would, um, she, I think she got sick of cooking things or she didn't have time. She's, she's like, you know what, if you're going to eat all that, I'm going to teach you how to cook it. So I, I reckon we must have been like seven or eight when I started like baking cakes and squares and those sort of things, and and then it just kind of went from there. But um, professionally, it didn't really didn't really sink in until I was leaving school. Like I finished school, went right through. You know, I don't know what year you call it in New Zealand. It was form, so I finished form seven, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to a careers advisor. Um, and they asked me lots of questions and we plugged it all on the computer. Um, the first thing that came out was a surfboard shaper because obviously I was obsessed with surfing then. And I, didn't, you know, I didn't think there was much of a career in that. Um, second thing was a weatherman. Um, and I'm still, I'm still to this day obsessed with weather. I'd, I'd love to be like study like meteorology and things like that. I, I re- I'm really obsessed with it and I think that's half to do with surfing as well. You become a, an amateur, <laughs> amateur weather forecaster. And then the third thing was a chef. And I was like, oh, yeah, all right, I could do that. So, yeah, I, I went to an open day at the Polytech in New Zealand. And, um, yeah, and then I guess I haven't really looked back. <laughs> what, what was it like when you first sort of stepped foot in the industry and started working in commercial kitchens? Was it a surprise to you? Uh, not too much of a surprise. Yeah, I guess it kind of was. Like it was, like I was working in like the, I guess the biggest hotel in Dunedin, you know, that was, I've kind of come full circle, haven't I? I'm back in a hotel now. Um, The, yeah, I guess it was a bit of a shock. It was, you know, it was like long hours. You got like, I wouldn't say antisocial because back then I was young and I was pretty social, but um, you, you were doing, definitely doing different hours to everyone else. Like I stopped. You know, I used to play rugby, but I stopped playing rugby because you could never go to training or games on Saturdays because you're all, you know, you're at work. So that kind of, that, you know, I guess that part of my life finished. But, um, yeah, it was definitely an eye opener to a whole different thing. And, it, yeah, look, I loved it. And I, I think it wasn't until I finished my apprenticeship and came to Australia when I was 21. And that's when I kind of started seeing really good food and it kind of changed things for me. And I was like, you know what? This is really cool. I'm learning so much and I just wanted to keep – he's got the bug, I guess, and just wanted to keep learning. Well, take us, take us back to that time in Sydney. What were the really sort of important venues and people that you worked with in that period of time that sort of helped you and guide you on your path? Yeah, in that period of time, I didn't really work at any, like, crazy like the best venues the one i worked at was actually it was called swell 
in Bronte. Um, yeah, so that yeah, you know, I was down there working for Sandy and and her son Robert, and yeah, you know, that's all very good friends of mine. And the head chef that was there at the time is he's still one of my best mates, Dowd. Who I'll shout out to Dowd. He owns Lucky Bow on the um, on the Goldie. It's a, if you like bowls, get in there. <laughs> Give him a little plug. <laughs> um, and he really took me under 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 his wing and taught me heaps. And then. And then he was like, man, you, you need to go overseas. You need to get out of here and bugger off to London or Europe or wherever. And that's, yeah, and, that, and that's when I went to, went to London. Like my sister was living over there and so I went and stayed with her and then I just had a beer in my bonnet. I wanted to work at one of the better restaurants in London, the Michelin star one. And, yeah, I went and did that. worked at the greenhouse in Mayfair for two years and, yeah, that was hard <laughs> it was hard but learning and you know it's formed some amazing friendships that you know i'm still really good friends with those guys now um you know, i guess it's like you know it's like you're back you know it's it's like you're in the war and you're in the trenches you know you do some you do some really hard times together and you know you're, you're learning a lot and having fun at the same time and yeah you kind of just yeah you get those friendships you just don't let go of them what did you take from your time in london Oh, a lot of knowledge, um, yeah, heaps, heaps of knowledge, and work, work with some amazing chefs. Like, uh, one, you know, one of them, Dwayne, he ended up being my my flatmate, and he was the executive sous chef there as well. And he really took me under my wing. I was like, when I turned up, I was hopeless. Like, yeah, you know, and compared to all the other guys that were there, and he, oh, he took so many, so many oh, yelling and screamings. <laughs> he, he took them because of stuff I did. And, you know, I owe him so much for that. And But he, he just, you know, I was getting screamed at. I remember like the first, I think it was the first two or three weeks I was there. There was a big German sous chef. He's a big scary fellow named Sebastian. And he was like, Brett, you are shit, yeah. He's like, I will break you. I will make you cry. And then, and then he left um, oh, three months later and he shook my hand. He goes, mate, I didn't think you'd last. He goes, you're going to. You know, you're very persistent and driven and you're going to, you know, you're going to do really well. Um, yeah, so it was just, I guess it was just being a sponge over there and taking everything in, learning the whole hierarchy of, you know, proper big kitchens and I hadn't really worked in anything like that before. So, yeah, it was a real eye-opener. What was it like when you you came back home? It was, yeah, it was interesting. I actually moved back to New Zealand for six months and tried to live there, but like the food scene hadn't really taken off. So I, I actually worked as a roofer with a mate of mine for three months. <laughs> it was actually really fun <laughs> and, um, over a summer period. And then, um, yeah, and then I actually came back to Australia. Uh, my friend Dowd, who I talked about before, was he was still at Swell. He was going to get married. So he, and he wanted to go on an extended honeymoon. So he reached out to me and said, do you want to come and, like help me run or run the place while I'm away. So I, so I did that. And um, I think three weeks or six six weeks turned, and, you know, well, I'm still over here now. So I haven't, I haven't, haven't really been back. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your career is dotted with, you know, some amazing restaurants in, in Sydney, but also sort of up north, um, not far from where you are these days. Yeah. But um, what's been the real sort of important venues and people that you've worked with? Oh, there's there's definitely a few. Um, I guess. Look, I'd have to say Fast Colin Fastnich. He was, you know, working at the Four in Hand at that time was was amazing. 
obviously Carla was there as well, Carla Jones, who you've had on the podcast. She's a great friend. And, you know, we, we were doing some really good things. And, look, I, and, you know, I'd been a head chef before that and, and had had a hat at a venue. But then I think I went in there as, you know, as I was like number three when I went in and then Colin and Carla opened the 414. And so then I was running the four in hand and I was still, lear- still learning so much. Like Colin, what, what he was doing at that time, I feel like he was, he was on the forefronts of, you know, the Sydney food scene. And, you know, we were just in this little old pub down, down in the back streets of Paddington. And, and, you know, it was like that kitchen was like the, you know, before I got the rent, it was like the Wild West. <laughs> I won't go into it too much, but, you know, parts of it <laughs> weren't the flashiest. And, you know, we'd have chefs come in and like, wow, that food come from in here. And we're like, yeah, this is, you know, this is it. So it really, really taught you what you can do with, you know, small spaces and, and just, you know, there was a real, again, there was a real camaraderie in that kitchen. You know, there was a, there was probably a high turnover of staff, but there, there was a, always a core group of people that were in there. And, um, you know, and look, we're, we're all still friends to this to this day, which is, you know, which is kind of good. Like Colin and Jane, you know, if you've been there for an extended period of time, you're like family. So, you know, and that's that's what I really love about the whole hospital scene you, you do develop those relationships where you, you do feel like family because you know pretty much they are you are you're with them for what 15 16 hours a day so yeah it is it is like family um colin's been on the show a few times and uh we see his face on the television a lot these days but do you have any stories of what it's like to work with him <laughs> are we are we Rated or <laughs> nah, look, I'll, look, I, I love working with Colin. He's, you know, some of the stories you can't tell, but um, yeah, it, it was fun. I remember going away. I'll, I'll go away on holiday for like two weeks or whatever back to New Zealand, and I'll be like, Colin, while I'm away, don't fire everyone. I'll come back and I'm like, who are all these guys? And he's like, they're all shit. I fired them all. <laughs> so, you know, there was that sort of carry on, but. No, nah, look, I, look, I like working with Colin. He, he's very driven. You know, he's a he, he could be a hard chef at times, but it was only when you did something wrong. You know, the you know the idea of that she don't muck something up. <laughs> you don't get in the shit. <laughs> Combining your love of surfing and food has been a real theme of your career with the string of venues that have been by near the surf and near the sea. Um, tell us a little bit about that connection that you have, and um, you know why so many venues. Um, that you've been a big part of yeah look i guess i love being near the ocean um look my partner and i now amelia like we we both have a love of the ocean so it's like wherever wherever we live we need we need to be close to it it just um yeah makes us feel good for and for me like surfing it it keeps me level um you know like it's Oh, what would you call it? Like meditation, or you know, it's my. I, I don't really do yoga or anything, but it's like my my equilibrium that, that keeps me balanced. Um, you know, if I don't, people that I work with know if I haven't surfed for like three weeks, and especially like Amelia, my partner, she's like, "You need to go surfing. You're getting grumpy. Like, you, you need to get in the water. You need to do something." Um, yeah, so I guess I yeah I need to be close to the ocean and. Yeah, I guess my work is close to the ocean too, and I, you know, I like being. You know, I've lived in Byron for three, uh, two different occasions. You know, once I was I was running Dish, which is it's not there anymore, but that was a had had a restaurant here yeah, back in the day. It's a blast, blast from the past. But, you know, that was amazing. I worked there at the start for the Kirkwoods, and then 
for Ross and Michael. They they bought it and and um, ran that one. So that yeah, that was that was fun. And then later on was Harvest. So I you know I lived down in Byron or uh, no, I actually lived in Lennox Lennox Head then. But um you know I worked at Harvest, which was up in Nuribar, which is yeah, it's twenty minutes away from Byron. So. Yeah, and I guess working there really, yeah, that's really like when I really kind of cemented my ethos or the whole kind of farm-to-table thing and, you know, I guess that came back from my childhood as well, like knowing where your food comes from and, you know, getting like in touch with your, you know, all the suppliers and producers. It's, yeah, I think it's, it's yeah, it's an amazing opportunity that if, if you get the chance and I've been lucky enough to have it a few times to, you know, really grab it by the horns and, yeah, get in there. You've, you've had a real knack of working with local producers, but does it have its challenges in sort of getting things right and consistent for consumers as well? De- it definitely does. Um, I think Harvest, I reckon it took at least two years to get to get it right. Um, you know, we'd have farmers that would grow for us and, you know, we'll be like, yeah, we'll take everything. We'll take all that you've got and we'll try and do it like that and then you know you put things on a menu and then the next week they're like oh I don't have it or you know something happened with the weather and it you know a crop got destroyed or you know if you have radishes like you know for one week you have these perfect radishes and then the next week they're absolute monsters that grow that quickly and it's like and then you know we had to think outside the square it's like right what do you do with that we need to we still need to do something with it so it's like right let's take it all let's pickle it ferment it you know, you just kind of had to think on your feet. You had to be fluid with your menus and, you know, Harvest was lucky. There was a few different outlets. Like we had the restaurant, you know, for breakfast, lunch and dinner. There was a deli which did lots of things and we had the rest, uh, the bakery which, you know, uh, this old wood-fired oven but we also did events down there. So there was a lot of different outlets that we could use it. But, yeah, like putting putting things on the menu, like sometimes you put them on then the next week the farmer would be like, oh, can't get it anymore or it's, it's finished or it's gone and you're like shit this is hard <laughs> yeah so you kind of and then it's like working on those um relationships with the farmers you're like right let's you know see if you you know plant so much this week and so much the next week and just kind of i guess we're all just figuring it out as we went along like they you know, those guys, those farmers or producers hadn't worked with restaurants before either, like firsthand. So it was just trying to figure it out and, you know, making making all those connections and relationships, you know, like you, you go, you know, I used to go down to the farmer's market once a week and just fill up the car or the van or, you know, whatever you're driving with, with different bits and pieces that were down there and you just kind of chat with, you know, you're down there having a chat, they, you know, they become your friends, you know. Or they're like, right, I'm going to have heaps of this coming on. Can you do something with it? Or, you know, if they see a gap in the season coming up, we, you know, it was just you just open that line of communication. And you know, at the end of the day, you always have your other, your other like wholesale veg supplier or producers or whatever that you can fall back on. But that wasn't wasn't really the aim. You know, that was kind of a bit of a cop out. So it was to try and yeah, try and use everything that you could. Does this approach change the way you approach your creative process when you're creating dishes as well? Yeah, definitely. You kind of I like to see the raw ingredients first, and then and then it's like, right, what can we do with it? Um, I think my approach has also got a lot, got quite a fair bit simpler in the past. You know, seven you know seven or eight years or whatever it is. I, you know, if you've got a good ingredient, I, I like to let that do the talking, not not do too much to it. Um, 
you know, I've got an obsession with smoke and fire and things like that. That's I think most chefs do these days, and you know, it's kind of the the not cuisine, but something du jour. It's it's what everyone's doing, but I think it's because we all love it. You know, it's it brings us back to that primal state of you know fire and heat, and that's how we you know originally cook things. It's just. I just love it. I think it's great fun. Prior to the role in Noosa, you had a huge operations role with the Three Blue Ducks. Um, tell us a little bit about that role and what you were doing. That role, so yes, yeah, so I was group exec, uh, group exec chef for the Three Blue Ducks. Um, I started off like, running a couple of the venues, the Rosebury one in Sydney and then the Brisbane one as well. And then that after COVID, it just kind of morphed into – you know, look, looking after all the venues and traveling around and um, I, I love that job. It was, it was, it wasn't really like a job. Like most of the time it was like hanging out with your mates. Yeah, you know, obviously I'm good. Yeah, you know, obviously I'm good friends with the owners, um, you know, but before and after working for them and it was, you know, there's, this, and we went through, you know, some pretty crazy times in our life while I was working for them, you know, through the whole COVID thing. So it was just like, yeah, there's days like we weren't getting paid, but you still went in and rolled up your sleeves and, and just just got it done because it's just kind of what you had to do. It's you know it was one of those one of those things, but yeah, it was good fun. Like I I, I really loved my time with them, and I can't speak highly enough of, of working for the Ducks. Like it's it's hands down the best like culture within a within a restaurant group that I've I've ever had, and like my aim is to like have that culture with with every every workplace I'm in. It was just, you know, every, everyone there believed in, in what, you know, what, what they were trying to achieve. So it was just, you know, it was cool. And, and, and it, you know, they're trying to do good things for the environment and, you know, just, just every, everything like that. And, you know, everyone bought into it. And it's, you know, I think it's, it's how things should go. Like, you know, it, the group had a, has an amazing commitment to sustainability and seasonality. How do you go about sort of juggling that and getting things right? Um, you know, in the background, in regards to sustainability and seasonality. Yeah, well, you got to well for start. You got to practice what you preach. Like we, you know, we sat down with all all the head chefs and the chef owners and I oh, and the other like all the other owners as well, and kind of broke down the sustainability like commitment. It was like right, what are we going to do? And we like we and it's like right, we need to hold ourselves to this. So and and it was like back and forth for a bit. I like, had a few meetings over it, and you know, we we came to to a, I guess a final draft or you know final um, letter and, and it was like right this is what we're doing and we we cannot go away from that this is this is what we need to stand beside it um, yeah and it was like like some of the things were hard like we you know and, and it probably affected the bottom line of the business like definitely but you know that was their commitment they were like no we we want to do things better for for the environment and sustainability and everything and. Yeah, like, like big, one of the biggest things was like cling wrap. I was like, right, we're, we want to get rid of it, but there is certain things that you might need it for. But it was like, okay, how many rolls of cling wrap are you going to go through a year? <laughs> and we, we had to like, we had to write that down and each chef had to commit to that. And yeah, it was, you know, but like, but then we'd invest in lids for like gastros and lots of different things to take, you know, to kind of minimize that impact and you know that was obviously a cost as well for the for, for the business but you know at, at the end of the day that's that's what what they wanted to do and i you know 
I'm, I'm all for that and I want to keep keep pushing that as well. Like in, in every business or resort or hotel, whatever I work in, yeah, I definitely want to keep keep going down down that line. How did the opportunity at the Sofitel Noosa uh, present itself? <laughs> this could be a semi-long story, this one. So I finished, <laughs> with the, <laughs> I finished up with the Three Blue Ducks. It was actually about this time last year in, in August. And um, my partner and I decided she wasn't enjoying her job. So um, we decided to, to go to New Zealand for, for like three to four months and just hang out with my family and friends for a bit because we hadn't really seen her much through COVID, do a bit of skiing and whatnot. And then, so we did that. Then we came back, or we, we were coming back, and then we decided to go to LA and Mexico for a month. <laughs> and thought we'd try and, figure, try and figure things out while we were there. And we had a great time over there. It was amazing. And then we decided we wanted to live somewhere warm. And look, we could have always moved back to Byron Bay because we've been there lots and you know, on and off. We've, we'd lived there together and separately for about 15 years, but both my partner and I. So that, that was like the fallback one. But then we kind of said Noosa. We, we were like looking at opportunities abroad as well and you know, like other hotels throughout. Like I had a job interview in Singapore and other, other different places. And um, when we got back to Australia, we decided we were, we were in Byron, but we're still figuring it out. We hadn't, hadn't decided yet. So we're like, right, let's, let's just go up to Noosa and have a look um, and actually see if we like it because we had bought Noosa up as, a, as an option. So we came up and we were just kind of cruising around up here and it was odd. It was, it was the second week of January and it was really, really busy as you'd expect over Christmas and just all these kind of things kept happening. Like we went and parked at like the, um, the, the National Park where all the surfers up in Noosa and you can drive around. Like since I've driven around for an hour looking for a park and you still don't get one, we drove in and got like pole position. It was like the first park ride there. I was like, wow. Okay, and then we went to like the surf club and the whole the surf club was packed and we got a seat like right at the front on the deck and then another like did the same thing in another surf club. It's like, man, some someone's trying to tell us something here. And then I actually had had a look and saw the the um the Sofitel were advertising for for an executive chef and I was like, Oh yeah, so there is there is jobs up here. Um and we'd had lunch oh, we had like a long lunch one day somewhere and we're still full, so we're like, oh, we don't really need dinner, but let's just go on. And then they suggested we go and have a walk down Hastings Street and then just go into the Sofitel and, and have a look and see, you know, see what it's like. Um, so we did that and then walked into the restaurant and I saw a good mate of mine from Sydney. Well, he's, oh, yeah, he's a good mate, I guess, Marty, Marty DeBoer. And <laughs> he was a really good acquaintance, let's put it that way. And now he's my really good mate now. But I saw him working there. I was like, oh, Marty, what are you doing here? I was like, I thought you were in Sydney. He's like, no, I worked here. And then we're chatting away and then he came, he went away and then came back. And I was like, I was like, so what, what are you doing here? And he's like, oh, I just thought he was a restaurant manager. And he's like, oh, I'm actually head of F&B. And I was like, oh, I applied for a job this morning here. And he's like, oh. Well, the interview is with me. Sit down. <laughs> so we sat down and had like we had a quick chat. And he told me the the pros and cons, and then, then I think the next day I had a um, meeting with the HR manager, and then the GM came in, and Marty was there as well. And I think the day after that I had the job offer. So <laughs> yeah, it all just kind of fell into place. It was yeah, it was kind of it was almost like it was meant to be. Yeah. Do you have any stories of the connections that you've made so far with some of the producers? 
Yeah, a few. Um, we've got oh, we have a really really good good connection with um, the Falls Farm up in Mapleton. Like I, yeah, we I I, I knew the Falls Farm for um, a couple of years, so um, I took I reached out to them. We took a group of group of chefs up there and just had like a big kind of farm tour and walk around the farm and oh it's great I was loving it I was like this is I was kind of in my element I you know it it really reminded me of working working with the ducks and and then working at harvest as well having the whole you know and then just taking the other chefs up there and seeing them get excited was was so great because I don't know they hadn't really had it before like you know I was picking carrots out of the ground like rubbing (laughs) rubbing rubbing the dirt off them on my on my on the t-shirt and then just eating them straight away and they're like oh jesus this guy's bloody rabbit or something <laughs> and um and then i was just doing the same thing i was like eat that i was like taste it i was like it's so sweet and you know seeing their faces and eyes just like holy shit yeah that is that's that's really amazing and and yeah it was kind of fun fun to to do that and then and then obviously yeah take take that sort of stuff back to the restaurant and then um yeah, put put it on the plate. So, I think all, all those guys that have been working there, but before I turned up, hadn't hadn't really had that um, opportunity before. So, yeah, it was kind of cool to see them get excited for it. Well, I know you've um, just sort of getting things up and running and um, getting into the role. What do you What do you love about what you do? Oh, I love I love cooking. <laughs> I love cooking, and I guess kind of you know seeing seeing people grow as well with with you know like chefs i guess is the word there chefs and and the front of house crew like you know teaching them and and you know seeing yeah you see some people they turn up because it's just a job but then sometimes you see that tweak where it goes from just a it's a, oh it's not just a job anymore they absolutely love it and you know there's there's that you see that passion really really get ignited and, um, yeah, because I, I think when I first started, I was a bit like that too. It was just a job and it was just to give me money to go surfing and then it wasn't until, you know, I came to Australia and then it was just like, right, you know, I really got the bug and got the fire inside me. It's like, you know, I really love this and, and you know, like even to this day, like, you know, most chefs will say this, they, we're still learning. You know, I've been doing this for over 25 years and I'm still, you know, I still learn things to this, you know, new, new every day. And it's, yeah, I guess that kind of excites me. And there's also the other part of, you know, when a customer comes up and they're like, oh, that's, you know, that's one of the best meals in my life. And, you know, like everyone's, you know, everyone's got their story. Some people expect amazing, you know, amazing food every single day. And then I have this story actually from, from um, Harvest of when, you know, we were kind of changing the food and doing different things and making it a lot nicer than it had been. And, um, and there was this old lady that came up and old lady, old couple, I should say, they came up from Ballina and like, it was their, um, it was their wedding anniversary. I, I can't remember how long, but they had been married for a while and they just wanted fish and chips. And that was like their only outing for the year. And we did them fish and chips and it, it just made their day. And just seeing how happy they were for the, you know, that, like that was a massive thing for them. And it's just kind of seeing, you know, doing those little things for people that just, you know, kind of kind of makes a day and change you know changes things for them it's you know i love doing that that part of it seeing seeing that end result well brett you're an absolute inspiration and it's an honor to get you on deep in the weeds today um please keep in touch look forward to seeing what you do up there in noosa and um we'll catch up again soon yeah thanks good old thank you for having me we finally got there 
This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au and be well. <laughs>